Amen. Do you ever feel like you're spending your life waiting on other people to get ready? Whoever's sitting by my wife, don't pay any attention to her. Or are you on the other side of the equation? Maybe you're the one who can never be on time. And the other people are constantly nagging you to hurry up. Well, parents often feel like their life is one big cycle of hurry up and wait. I've heard that that's kind of a a phrase from the, the army, hurry up and wait. A dad named Rodney LaCroix posted the following thoughts on Twitter. What I say, be ready, we are leaving in five minutes. But the child hears, get undressed, start finger painting, lose at least one shoe. Kids can be forgiven for not understanding the concept of get ready. But it's a lot harder to laugh it off when it happens to us as adults. Actor Chester Gregory says that he suffered from insomnia a few years ago. One night during a big show, he fell asleep in his dressing room. He woke up to hear the backstage staff paging him over the intercom. It sounds like every actor's worst nightmare. He rushed on stage just in time to cover his mistake. But he claims that this moment cured his insomnia. He never fell asleep on the job after that. Well, in today's lesson from Luke's gospel, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples to carry on his work after his death. He's been trying to warn them about this for, for a while now. And just, but they, they just don't seem to get it. They don't get the message. It's kind of like Rodney LaCroix's tweet about what I say versus what they hear. The whole chapter of Luke 12 could be titled, Wake up, get ready. And we need to pay close attention to it because this message is relevant for us today as it was for the disciples 2,000 years ago. We've talked in the past about having foolish perspectives in our lives. We find that the Bible speaks about foolishness 60 times. Many of those passages are found in the book of Proverbs. From what we read in the Bible about foolishness, we could define a fool as someone who lives only for themselves and only for the moment. In these verses, Jesus is trying to remove our our greed and worry by focusing our minds on the future that God has planned for us. In fact, the central message of Luke 12 can be summed up in that very first verse of this passage, verse 32. I challenge, I challenge you this morning to commit this verse to memory this week 
Because if we really believe this one verse, it would change how we live our lives. It would change how we view our future. It would change our priorities. It would fuel our courage. But before we read verse 32, let's put it in context. Jesus' ministry has become so popular that he and his disciples are being followed by a crowd, a crowd of many thousands of people. This crowd is so rowdy that they are trampling each other. This would be, <laughs> this would be a perfect moment for Jesus to perform a few miracles or to bring on some fire-breathing sermon. Anything, anything to wow the crowd. But Jesus knows two things that his disciples don't. First, that popularity isn't a measure of success in God's eyes. Obedience is. And second, that he's on the way to Jerusalem and to his death on a cross. So instead of impressing the crowd, Jesus addresses his disciples. Our lesson begins with these words in verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Jesus knows that after his arrest and execution, his disciples will become religious outcasts and enemies of the state. Their lives will be in danger, and they will spend the rest of their lives facing persecution, beatings, imprisonment, and martyrdom as they spread Jesus' message to the ends of the earth. If they're going to persevere through all of this, they need to see the future through Jesus' eyes. Imagine. Imagine that for one day, you could see the future through Jesus' eyes. What would be different about it? What questions would it answer? One thing we know for sure, if we could see our future through Jesus' eyes, we would refuse to live in fear. I read a funny story about a computer glitch that affected a sports betting site in Australia. Some customers on a website named IAS Bet discovered that the, the site inadvertently was allowing fans to place bets on past horse races. What happens? What happens if you place a bet on a horse race that has already been won? People win a lot of money, right? Well, instead of alerting the IAS bet folks to the glitch, these fans placed their bets and won some money. Most of these customers placed small bets just to test the system a little. Only one man 
placed a big enough bet to trigger an investigation by the website's owner. What a temptation. He couldn't lose. He already knew the outcomes of the races, so he had no fear of risking his money. Jesus is telling his disciples here, I already know the end of your story. I know the outcome of your race. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. If you were to read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you would see that almost every encounter, God, an angel of God, Jesus, begins with some variation of don't be afraid. It's as common as you or I beginning an encounter with the word, hi, or hey. That seems to be God's favorite greeting. Don't be afraid. The disciples need to stand firm in the unshakable truth that God is their father. And they are heirs to all the riches of God's kingdom. The riches of peace with God. Eternal life. The fruits of the spirit. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's their treasure that will never wear out or fail. And it's our treasure too. If you really believed this verse, it would change your life. So that, that's the first thing Jesus is teaching us in this passage. If we could see our future through his eyes, we would refuse to live in fear. The second thing Jesus is teaching us in this passage is to let go of the things that control us. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe that Jesus meant these words literally and figuratively. God cares passionately about the poor and the needy. You can't read through the Bible and miss this truth. So giving what you have to provide for the needy is a biblical mandate. But Jesus also came to set us free from the burden and fears of this world. Once we've been set free, then we can focus our energies on creating God's kingdom on this earth. Listen to these words, people. Your father has already given you the kingdom. You have a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Why? 
Why is your heart still tied to this world? Author David Goetz wrote a book titled Death by Suburb. How to keep the suburbs from killing your soul. In this book, he says that chasing after immortality symbols distracts us from living as followers of Jesus. We get so tied to status and comfort and achievement, we find our identity in our jobs, we find our self-worth in our paychecks or our possessions, we spend our lives building up and protecting our own little comfortable, safe existence, and we completely miss the calling to follow Jesus as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. It's a lot to wrap your head around, isn't it? There's an old story about a court jester who was once given a wand by his nobleman, that the man he served. Keep this said the nobleman, until you find a greater fool than yourself. The gesture put away the wand and kept it for many years. One day the nobleman lay dying. Calling the gesture to his side, he said, I am going on a long journey. The gesture asked, where to? The nobleman shrugged his shoulders. For how long? asked the jester. Forever, replied the nobleman, very weakly. What provisions have you made for your journey? asked the jester. None, answered the nobleman. Then, said the jester, take this, handing the nobleman his wand, for you are a greater fool than I am. Who's the greater fool? The one who focuses his life on collecting and protecting stuff that will wear out, fail, and get eaten by moths? Or the one who spends his life sharing with Christ the work of creating the kingdom of God on earth? And how do we create the kingdom of God on earth? The last part of this passage tells us be dressed, ready, and ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he knocks, when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. The final thing Jesus is teaching us in this passage is that our service to others makes us ready to serve when he comes again. When you serve the people around you with love and humility, you're serving Jesus. You're living out the purpose for which God made you. You will find yourself, your highest identity and purpose and joy 
in caring for others just as Jesus has cared for you. A man named Ron told the story of how God woke him up from a life that was meaningless and out of control. Ron began using alcohol at a young age. Then he moved on to some tougher stuff called methamphetamine. He drifted into adulthood with no purpose. His addiction caused him to lose custody of his daughter. Then in 2012, Ron was in a car accident that should have killed him. Somehow, he survived. And the trauma of the accident caused him to question why God would spare his life. Ron checked himself into a hospital psychiatric ward. From there, he looked for help at a place called Hope Ministries in Des Moines, Iowa. Hope Ministries provides shelter and recovery services for people that are struggling with substance abuse. At first, Ron just wanted a place to stay, someplace safe. He wasn't sure he was ready to deal with his addictions, but the prayers and support he received at Hope Ministries made him rethink his path in life. He said, I look back at my life and all the choices I'd made, the holes in my soul that I'd tried to fill through my addictions. I surrendered my life to Christ, and that's the one choice that has changed my entire life. Ron entered the recovery program. He reconnected with his daughter. He got a job. With his commitment to following Jesus and the support of his new friends, Ron rebuilt his life and graduated from the program in July of 2020. And he's committing his life to helping others in the same way he has been helped. His life goal now is loving and serving others. As he says, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. Serve others and show them there's hope in this world and there's love that truly exists. Many years ago, Mother Teresa met with Dr. Robert Schuler. You maybe remember Dr. Robert Schuler. He's the former pastor of the Crystal Cathedral in Orange County, California. Dr. Schuler was in awe of Mother Teresa. Her ministries to the poor in Calcutta, India were unbelievable. She had devoted her life to serving the neediest and the most destitute people in all of Calcutta and had been instrumental in starting other ministries around the world. Dr. Schuler asked Mother Teresa for some words of wisdom for his ministry. He was so moved by what she said that he had her words engraved onto a plaque which 
he hung on his office wall. Mother Teresa told Dr. Schuler, be all and only for Jesus. Let him use you without consulting you first. Be all and only for Jesus. Let him use you without consulting you first. That's what it means to be dressed and ready for service. What would have to change in your life for you to be ready for service? What fears would you have to overcome? What priorities would you have to change? And what could God do through you if you let God use you without consulting you first? Yes, that's a pretty scary question, I must admit. Jesus knew it would be. So remember his words that are as true for us today as they were for his disciples 2,000 years ago. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Let us pray. God of Abraham and Jesus, you invite your people to contemplate heavenly things and urge us toward faith in you. May your coming among us find our doors open, our tables set, and all your people ready to greet you. In Christ's name we pray.